please. Wonderful, wonderful. If you have your Bible, please go to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. The book of Hebrews chapter 5. And I've entitled this message, It's Time to Grow Up. <clears throat> the time has come to grow up. I'll give you just a minute, let you find it. Hebrews 5. I remember, many of you as parents, you can relate to this. I remember when Brittany was pregnant with Mason and Maddox. We have twin boys. They are 11 now, and we have little Kason, and she is three. But I remember way back when she was pregnant with Mason and Maddox, and we were so young and so naive and so excited. And so we'd see people, and they'd say, oh, you're expecting? And we'd say, yeah, we're expecting twins. And they would say, oh, God bless you. <clears throat> and I thought they meant it. I thought they really meant God bless you until we brought Mason and Maddox home. And then it all hit. I knew exactly what they meant by that. And I, some of you have heard this, but I remember uh, we were feeding them every three hours. They were premature. They were very small. Maddox was four and a half pounds. Mason was five and a half pounds. And so they would sleep right next to our bed in a pack and play and every three hours, we would get up and we would feed them. And so one night, it was my turn to get them ready. And so I remember playing this day. I remember leaning over, getting Mason, <clears throat> picking him up, holding him in my arms, and getting him ready to wake up. By that time, Brittany woke up and she tapped me. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, shh, I'm waking Mason up. And she said, Case, that's not Mason. And I looked down and I had been rocking a pillow. And so <clears throat> I was rocking this white pillow, and uh, all of a sudden I throw the pillow, and I say, where is Mason? Have you seen And I'm, I'm pulling back the bedspread, looking through the sheets, trying to find what I did with Mason. And she comes over to the side. She finds them both sound asleep in the pack and play, and she tells me to be quiet before I wake them up. <clears throat> but, but I think about that, and I think about where they are now. Now they are 11. They're not little boys anymore. They have grown so much. Uh, our conversations have changed. I watch them now, and they don't need me like they used to. They are independent. I watched them recently at a baseball game, and they're out there like little men doing their own thing, making their own decisions, and they're doing so well. But as a parent, there are sometimes I wish I could put the rewind button down. Don't you kind of wish you could go back in time and go back to that stage where I could hold both of them in my arms and look down at those sweet faces? But growth is a part of life. It's a good thing that there is no longer baby bottles. It's a good thing that there are no longer diapers in my house. Amen, glory, hallelujah. Those things are expensive. I'm glad no more. It's a good thing that there are no longer pacifiers. That is what is to be expected. We are to grow. We are to mature. We are to change. It's one thing to relive the good memories and the good moments, but we are glad to see maturity happen. But I think there's a problem amongst many churches today, and the problem is immaturity in the pews. Spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity to where we're not pushing for the deeper things of God. 
And that's exactly what we find in Hebrews chapter 5. Open your Bible, look at it, Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11. Let me ask you to stand just in honor of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil." Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Go ahead and be seated. I want to give you some indicators of spiritual immaturity. I'm going to give you this morning some indicators of spiritual immaturity. Number one, spiritual immaturity is often a result of laziness. Spiritual immaturity is often a result of laziness. Look back at verse 11. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, if you look at this passage in context, he's been discussing the role of the high priest. He's been comparing Jesus to Melchizedek. And as you read it, you kind of scratch your head and you say, wait a minute, this is getting deep really quick. It's hard for me to grasp. It's hard for me to understand. And then all of a sudden, he goes to verse 11 and he basically says, I've got so much more I would like to tell you, but I can't because you can't understand it. I have so much more I would like to tell you, so much more detail I would like to get into, but I simply can't because you are dull of hearing. Now, the word dull, what it means is it means sluggish, a dimwit, negligent, or lazy. That's what it means. It was used in extra-biblical literature to describe an athlete who was out of shape, he was lazy, and he was uncompetitive. And so the listeners are hearing this, and they hear that their problem is that they are dull in their listening. They are dull in their hearing. They are lazy when it comes to the things of God. The problem here is not that they are incompetent. The problem here is not that the material is too hard to understand. The problem is that they're too lazy to put the work into it to get a deeper understanding of the things of God. My question for you is this. In your spiritual life, could it be said that we are sluggish? Could it be said in our spiritual life that we are negligent? Could it be said in our spiritual life that we are lazy? How much effort, listen to me, how much effort, how much work 
are we putting into our spiritual life? Because let's be honest, when there's something that we care about, we put the time in, don't we? When there's something that's important to us, we put the work into it. At my house lately, it's baseball. My boys love baseball. If you come Sunday nights, my stories usually revolve around a baseball illustration because that's what happens at my home. When I get home from work, my boys don't come in and say, Oh, Dad, how was your day today? They come in, they throw me my glove and say, Let's go play catch. That's what happens. I can't tell you how many times I've squatted down and caught as they pitch ball after ball after ball. I've got bruises all over my legs to prove it. <clears throat> That's what we do. We go and I, I soft toss and they hit into the net over and over and over again. Do you know why? Because baseball is important to them. They want to get better. They want to grow. So they put the work and the time into it. You say, well, Case, that's baseball. You do the same thing. Maybe it's golf for you. And so what do you do? You study the best golf clubs. You get the best golf bag. Every weekend you go to the golf course and you practice and you work because you want to get better and better and better. Maybe for you it's fishing. And so you've got the best tackle box, the best lures, the best rod and reels, the best bass boat. You've got the best spots. And if you can help it, you're always thinking about bass fishing. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's what you do. But there's something that gets your attention and it gets your energy. But understand this. None of those things compare to the kingdom of God. If I'm putting more time and energy into baseball at my home than I am for the kingdom of God, then I am missing the point. We're going to put work, time, and dedication into the things that matter the most to us. And so again, my question, how much work, time, and energy are we putting into our spiritual life? The truth is, for many, when it comes to spiritual things, we are lazy. When it comes to spiritual things, if there's a little bit of rain, we stay home. When it comes to spiritual things, we're going to be at the house of God as long as there's nothing better to do. But if there's something better to do, then you can't really count on me any longer. The sad reality is many Christians are lazy when it comes to spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's what we're to be, steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, focused on the things of God. But notice back to the verse. Look back at verse 11. I want you to see this. He says, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, he says, I want to take you deeper. I want to take you further. I want to take you to the next level, but I can't because you won't put the time into it. I wonder, how much does God want to do in our lives? How much does God want to do in your life to use your spiritual gifts for his kingdom? But he can't because the work is not being put into it. Being a man or a woman of God is a full-time job. It involves great sacrifice and great commitment. We will not wake up one day, look in the mirror, and just by happen chance say, I'm right where I need to be. Do you know what it takes? Some of you do this. It takes getting up early in the morning and spending time in this book. Amen? That's what it takes. It takes spending time praying 
to the Lord, seeking his face. It takes spending time before him being quiet, listening for him to speak. To be a man or a woman of God, it means that I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, what do you want out of my life today? It's not about what I want, but it's about what you want. It means that every day we are focused on him, we're dedicated, we're surrendered, and we are sold out to him. And those things do not happen when we are lazy. The next thing I want you to see is this. Spiritual immaturity is often the result of complacency. Spiritual immaturity is often the result of complacency. Look down at verse 12. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The problem is magnified because the readers have been involved in church for a long time. By this point, they ought to be teachers, but instead they need someone to teach them again. The issue is not about a new convert. The issue is not a new church member. He's talking to a group of people who have sat under tens, hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of sermons, but yet they're at the same spot spiritually. There's the expectation that the more we hear, the more we learn, and the more we will grow, but the reality is that does not always happen. Sometimes we get complacent and we stay right where we are, don't we? There are some of us in here, and we could not begin to count the number of sermons we've listened to. Amen? Some we've slept through, some we've got through, but we have been through a lot of sermons and a lot of teaching. We're not going to put you to sleep. You stay awake over there, okay? <laughs> we've sat through a lot of teaching, but here's the question. What good has it done in our life? Are we growing? He said they need milk, not the solid food. Milk is a reference to the elementary teachings of the Word of God. He says they need to hear it again. Again, they've heard this once, they've heard it twice, they've heard it a thousand times, but they still want the same teaching over and over again. It's been said that Christian theology is a mile wide and an inch deep. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It looks good on the outside, but there's not much depth to it. I found a survey that talked about the biblically illiterate church, and it says this. A recent Lifeway study shows that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. One out of five churchgoers never open their Bible. Less than half of all Christian adults can name the four Gospels in the Bible. Most Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. 60% cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. Over 80% of Christians believe that there's a verse in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves. A Barna Poe indicated that there's a number of people who believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% of high school seniors involved in the church believed that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Many responded to a survey, and they believed that Billy Graham preached the message, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Do you see the problem? There is a a generation, there's a growth that's happening to where we are illiterate when it comes to things of the Bibles. Christians who lack biblical knowledge are the products of churches that marginalize biblical teaching. Throughout history, the pulpit has been placed front and center. Do you know why? Because it was the focal point. Everything in the service came down to the preaching of the Word of God. But there's a movement today that is pushing preaching to the side and everything else is taking up the service time. And instead of preaching, we've got guys getting up and they're giving a 15-minute discussion and they're throwing in a scripture and they're telling people exactly what they want to hear and they say, I'm not a preacher, I am an encourager. Can I just tell you, I didn't come to encourage you this morning. I didn't come to make you feel good this morning. I came this morning to preach the Word of God. We don't need a concert. We don't need to be motivated. We need to hear this is what God wants out of your life. God is not changing with the times. I don't care if the whole world is buying into the sexual revolution, the LGBTQ plus movement. God says that is against me. He doesn't stand for it. He's not transitioning to all this new movement. Everybody else is bowing down before it, but this is what the Word of God says. God says marriage is still sacred. We need to fight for marriage. We need to fight for godly homes. We need to fight for a man and a woman who love each other and will stay together in the good times and in the bad times. We need a preacher who will say, listen, if you're living together outside of marriage, that's not honoring God. That's against what the Bible teaches us. We love you. We want you here, but we want you to line up with God's word. But listen to me. We're getting away from those truths, and what we're doing is we're being seeker-sensitive. In other words, you tell me what you want me to say, and I'm going to say it. And preachers are turning into a little puppet that just makes people feel good. And the Bible told us that would happen. It said in the last days, it's going to be itching ears that are tickled and people are pleasured. But we get away from the word of God. And when we do, we have spiritual immaturity. And we end up having little sermonettes and teachingettes where we come up and we say the same thing week after week after week. And we never get deep down into the things of God. And that's what it is to be a part of a church. It means that we seek him with all that we are. What is a Christian? It means that we have denied ourselves. We have counted the cost. We've thrown the cross on our shoulder, and we're ready to follow him and to serve him. But we can't do that if we're lazy, and we can't do that if we are complacent. When we're complacent, we get to this point to where we say, you know what? I'm just happy where I'm at. I'm happy. I've got enough Jesus that I feel like I'm going to heaven. I've got enough Jesus that I feel like I'm going to avoid hell. So let me just coast right here. Listen to me, my friends. As children of God, we're not to coast. Amen? As children of God, we're not to let off the gas. As children of God, we are to push forward. He says you need milk, not solid food. Spiritually, you're acting like a baby. You're unconcerned with the rich, hearty food that you need. 
And this is not a good thing. Complacency, it's defined as self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers and deficiencies. That's what complacency is. It's where you, you're satisfied in yourself, but you don't realize that there are dangers all around you. They should know better at this point, but they have quit growing. They've quit seeking the things of God. The first question, are you lazy spiritually? The second question, are we complacent? I think we've got to be careful here at Woodland Hills. We look around and there's a lot of people at Woodland Hills. Things are good. God has blessed. Do you know when it's easy to become complacent? After the blessings of God. After the blessings of God, it's easy to say, let's just, let's just coast right here. Let's just enjoy what we've got right here. And so we become complacent. The third thing is this. Spiritual immaturity is when we compartmentalize our life. When we make compartments in our life. Look at verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Because they're immature, it says they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. When he speaks about righteousness, he's talking about right living, righteous living. He's talking about the way that we act and the way that we speak and the way that we love and the way that we treat other people. He says, Everyone who lives on milk, everyone who is immature spiritually, they're unskilled. They have no wisdom when it comes to applying those principles to their daily life. Immaturity is when we hear the word, but the word does not impact the way that we live. Can I just say this? If we come here this morning and we hear a message out of the word of God and we leave this place and we do not apply it to our life. Can I just tell you that we wasted our time this morning? Amen? It was a waste. If we come and we just listen, but we don't apply it to our life, then what's the point in it? We're not to just be listeners, but we're to be doers of the Word of God. It says in verse 14, But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If you highlight in your Bible, I would circle that word practice, that constant practice. The NIV says that constant use. In other words, we hear from God and we constantly apply it to our life. We constantly apply it to our daily living. It's not something that we do on Sunday and then we forget on Monday, but we, we receive the Word of God. We listen on Sunday and we live it out on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on all the days that follow. It says in James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the Word, not hearers only, because if you do, you have deceived yourself. Paul wrote this in Romans 2. He said, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And Jesus said this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and they obey it. Listen, us listening, that's one thing. But we miss the point if we don't apply it to our life. When we hear from the word of God, whether that's a, a teaching in a small group or a sermon that's delivered, 
We're looking for ways. We're, our heart's open. We're looking for ways for God to speak to us so that we can become more like him. James gives this illustration. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, here's, this, here's what he's saying. It's like, and, and he uses the word man, and I think he does because men and women look into the mirror differently, don't they? What does a man do? He wakes up, he looks in front of the mirror, and he says, that'll do, and then he walks away. <laughs> women don't do that. Women will camp out in front of the mirror. They will spend hours in front of the mirror. They want to make sure that they look good in front of the mirror. Most ladies carry a purse. Inside most purses, there is a mirror. It is important to their life. But the way that we do things spiritually oftentimes is more like a man. We look at the scripture, we gaze at it, and then we keep going with our life. He says, don't just gaze at it. Don't just look by and forget what you look like. Look into the book. Let the book reflect to you what needs to change and then make changes in your life. You're not to compare yourself to who you're sitting by. You compare yourself and say, well, I'm better than Brother Vernon, so I'm doing pretty good. That's not enough. We must compare ourselves to the Word of God. This is the mirror that we look in. It says, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. We read that and we look in our life and we say, what in my life is not holy? What in my life needs to change? What on my television set does not honor God? And we begin to take that truth in and say, God, show me in my life and in my heart what needs to change. Lord, give me the truth from your Scripture." It says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pray and say, God, would you search my heart? Would you search my thoughts? These are the things that nobody else sees. I don't know what you think about. I don't know the emotions in your heart, but God does. Do you ever go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me in my life what's not bringing honor, glory, and praise to you? Three things here that bring spiritual immaturity. Number one, if we're lazy. Number two, if we're complacent. And number three, if we make compartments. If we put God in a Sunday box and we keep him in that box for the rest of the week, then we are spiritually immature. Listen, when you go to work tomorrow, people ought to see Jesus all over you. They ought to see Jesus all over your life. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. They ought to see Jesus. You're not perfect, but you're trying to honor the Lord, and we're growing. Let me close with this. How do we move towards maturity? Look back at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of, doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You see that? It's so easy. He says, therefore, because of this, because we understand where we are at, because we understand there's some work to be done, let us, and it's a plural, let us as the church, let us as the body of Christ, let us move forward. 
Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and let us go toward maturity. Let us push on. And I, I wonder, I wonder, is there anybody here this morning that says, enough is enough, I'm ready to push on? Is there anybody here this morning that says, if I'm honest, I have been coasting spiritually. I come to church, I come to church even if it's raining outside, but I'm not putting work into my spiritual life. I'm not spending time in God's perfect word. My prayer life is not what it should be. I'm not telling others about Christ like I should. I'm not loving others. I'm not serving others. I'm just coasting. And I've been complacent. See, here's the, here's the sad reality. Every one of us in here, I believe we see areas in our life that we need to push for more. We see areas in our life that we are spiritually lazy. But the sad reality is there's a lot of us who are complacent enough that we're going to walk out of this place and we're not going to make one single change in our life. And that's sad, isn't it? That's a sad reality, but it's the truth. But are there some? Is there a handful? Is there a remnant that the Lord's speaking to your heart and he's showing you something and, and he's saying, it's time to go a little bit deeper. You say, well, Case, how do I do that? Well, maybe it means waking up five minutes early tomorrow, reading a few verses. You say, well, five minutes, that's not much. It's a start, isn't it? If you usually don't do anything, five minutes is a start. Put something into practice. Develop your prayer life. Push in. Push for more. Ask the Lord. You'll see at the end of, the end of this verse, what does it say? It goes on towards the end of verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. In other words, it's not all on us. God is going to help us. God's going to be there with us. I believe if we're seeking spiritual growth, if we're seeking spiritual maturity, listen to me, God is going to bless us with it. God has got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. And it's not just waking up, going to work, coming home, eating supper, going to bed, and doing it all again the next day. God's got a bigger plan so that we can be used for his kingdom. And I think it's time for us to move on out of the elementary teachings and move on towards maturity. Let me ask you to close your eyes, bow your head. I want you to think about it in your life. In your life. Could it be said that you're complacent? Could it be said that you're lazy? And could it be said that you have made these little compartments? And you've got a compartment for God, and then you've got a compartment for everything else. I'm reminded of Philippians 3. It says, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But listen, but one thing I do. Forget what lies behind. Forget about the past. Forget about the failures. Forget about what you wish you could change. And strain forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love that. I press on. I press on toward the goal of Jesus Christ, this upward calling. I realize there's more to life than what I'm living currently. And so the question we've got to answer is, are we 
going to push for more. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Take a moment and pray. Say, Lord, what do you want out of my life? Because of this preaching today, because of your scripture, Lord, would you show me, pray this right now, Lord, would you show me if I'm lazy spiritually? Lord, show me how to put more work into my spiritual life. Lord, please let me not to be complacent. Let me to realize how important this is. Please remove the complacency out of my life. Now pray, Lord, let me to live for you every day of my life. Not just on Sundays, not just in certain situations, but pray, Lord, would you shine through my life all day today and all day tomorrow. Lord, I want to seek you with all that I am. And if you mean that, will you make changes in your life? Lord, we thank you so much for the time we've had together. Thank you for these who have come. Lord, I pray that you have stirred us this morning. I pray that we realize, God, that our spiritual life is, is so great. Lord, that we will push forward, that we will long for more. We won't be satisfied with the status quo. Lord, I pray that you will use us, that you will use this church to reach this community around us like we can only imagine. Lord, let us to grow up, and I pray that you will use us greatly. Lord, if there's any decision that needs to be made, maybe there needs to be a recommitment to say, I'm going to go to the deep end of the pool. Lord, I pray it happens today. Lord, if there's anyone here who says, you know, that all sounds good, but I'm not even saved, I pray that you will draw them to salvation this morning. Lord, if any are looking for a, a church home and they say, I want to grow, and I want to grow right here at Woodland Hills, Lord, I pray that you will bring them to us to be part of this family. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.